Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. I have been doing a series of webinars now for over three years, interviewing all kinds of people from all over the world that are related to horses. I have, I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed talking to all my guests. And tonight I got roped into talking about myself. So this is <laughs> Webinars with Wendy, with Wendy as the guest. Fortunately, I have two fabulous people to interview me, so it doesn't seem really weird. Um, <laughs> Dr. Lydia Gray and Julia Reynolds. Um, and they I've known Julia for quite a long time and Lydia less so, but I feel like I've known Lydia a very long time. I've known you a long time. No, oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. You have to tell them about that. All right. So I'm going to let them introduce themselves and then we'll come back to me in a moment. So welcome everybody and thanks for joining us. Well, Lydia, do you want to start now? Because yeah. I'm curious. Yeah, that was a good segue. Um, So Wendy and I literally bumped into each other not this past December 2022. So that was a year and a half ago. We met in person at the American Association of Equine Practitioners annual convention. And we were both like, you know, because she was like, Lydia Gray. And I was like, Wendy Murdoch. And, <laughs> it, and for like a minute, we just stood there and looked at each other like, I can't believe I'm actually meeting you really here. Um, because you had your Sherpoot booth and the Haysucker booth there. Yeah. And not too far from where I was. Because yeah. at the time, I was working for a smart pack. But now I'm on my own. And that's how we are now doing this tonight. Um, I'm in the consulting business and do write and edit and market and, you know, pretty much everything with social media. Because, you know, social media. Um, but I, I read your um, five-minute fixes. And I think I've tried them all. I love, I can't wrap my head around the mirror exercise, so I can't wait till that module, but um, I don't want to spoil anything. So, so okay. all right, Julia. Well, and and what I, I remember, great. Lydia, when I went over to talk to you is you had cut out all of the Murdoch minutes that were in the Horse's Mouth magazine that was published in Illinois that had finally ended. Yes. Yeah, And you had a, like a whole notebook of all the Murdoch minutes. Yes. Yes. I made my own, I made my own book. And then you have books. Huh? And um, I think I started writing those in 2004, something like that. Probably. Yeah. yeah, I think it was 2004. So so we've known each other a very long time then. <laughs> well, I haven't known Wendy since 2004, but um, Wendy and I met back in 2016, I think. And I had been working uh, for Callie King at, it used to be CRK training, but now it's known as horse class. So I worked with Callie for a while and she, um, when I was telling her about some of my, my issues I was experiencing in my own riding, she was like, oh my gosh, you have to meet Wendy Murdoch. And she, you know, sung Wendy's praises. And then finally, I had the chance to work with Wendy um, when we filmed her effortless rider course that's, um, you know, under the horse class umbrella. Um, and we have since filmed can't even, probably four other courses together, plus traveled to Costa Rica to do riding retreats. So Wendy and I have spent a ton of time together. I feel very lucky to have her as a friend and a mentor. So I'm really excited to be flipping the script on you here and, and interviewing you. Awesome. And you have to tell us whose tail that was. Oh, that is um Hannah. Hannah. Hi, Hannah. Because my I'm not home. I'm actually in Frankfurt, Kentucky. I've just uh got done with the AP, no, sorry, the AAETT convention 
um, which was fabulous. It was great. And met so many wonderful people there. Um, and at home, so I don't have any kidneys. Is American Association of Equine Therapists and Technicians. Yep. Did I get okay. Yep. Yeah. And um, it's uh, they're really trying to organize to really help as a body to collectively advocate for uh, equine body workers and therapists. So it's a really great organization. Um, and Julia, you were not only in a lot of the videos, but you edited the course, all the courses that I did at horse class. And um, the thing I always remember is where you're sitting there talking to me and you're like, oh, no, you already filmed that. No, you already filmed that. You, you filmed <laughs> that. It's over here. Here it is here. And I'm like, she knows why my course is better than I do. So it's um it's really great to have you involved with the whole rider course now. So thanks a lot. Yeah, no, it's been so much fun to work on this project with you. And, you know, I think the the one of the things I enjoy the most about working with you, Wendy, is when your passion comes through and you just have such a passion for what you teach and that never, never gets old. <laughs> Thanks. So, so a little bit about me. Um, I, you know, have been, I've created a page on Facebook called Ride Like a Natural. And I, because I went back and I found these photos of me as a really little girl, ba a baby even, um, and realized that my love of horses started even further back than I thought. Um, and you, know, you didn't come from a horse family. You just, no, right? no. Um, so yeah. we lived in a suburb. Um, mm -hmm. We lived 40 miles from New York city in a town called Stanford, Connecticut. And we were oh, below yeah, the parkway. Know. If you've ever taken the Merritt parkway, we were below yeah. the parkway. Um, and there used to be a little stable down cross high Ridge road um, where you could go for pony rides and, um, so we would go every birthday, we'd go there for pony rides at some of the pictures I've been putting up. Um, and of course I had my cowboy outfit, right? I still have it, by the way, I was going to take a picture of it and post That's it. Amazing. We <laughs> so need, I, we need to see that picture. <laughs> I, I found it in my, when I was, um, moving my mom's stuff and I was like, oh, I got to keep this. And we had to dry clean. So it's all nice too. <laughs> so, I don't have the hat anymore. I'm really un wow. kind of bummed about that. Um, but I've always loved horses and I've always found ways to be around horses. And when I was 15, I was taking care of a horse north of the parkway and um, the woman didn't want it anymore. She got it for her sons and they weren't really interested. And so she sold it to me at 15 and uh, it was $500, including tack. And I came home. I only had 450 in the bank. She said she'd take a note for the other $50. And uh, I came home and told my mother I'd bought a horse and you know, it didn't strike me until the other day that the first thing my mom said was, where are you going to keep it? She didn't say you couldn't have it. You know, <laughs> I said, I'm like, you didn't say you can't have it. That wasn't the problem. Wow. <laughs> she said, where are you going to keep it? So I, I kept it at a stable um, up the road until my dad, my dad and my mom were separated. And he lived up the street at a log cabin that had a two car detached garage. And he converted the garage into a barn. Oh. And so my horse lived at my dad's house a quarter mile up the road. And there was a school field across the street. And I would ride in the school field across the street. And then I'd ride him out over, you know, to the other side of the parkway and all the way up around the reservoir. And um, I'd wear his shoes off. Like in six weeks, the shoes were like paper thin. So my farrier put boring on my shoes. <laughs> and, that, oh. and my dad would chain him. We had this chain. I don't know whatever happened to it. This huge, thick chain with a stake. And he'd stake them in the yard. And my horse would break. 
he would graze crop circles, right? And and I mean, this is right next to Vine Road, which is a two-lane road. You know, it's going from High Ridge up to uh, Stanford. It's a busy road, and you people would drive by. It was right on the curve, and they'd see the horse out there staked out doing crop <laughs> We didn't think anything of it, right? We didn't think it was. And my horse was super good. He never got tangled in anything, you know. He never. I, in fact, I I can barely remember having any injuries. My horse have ever having any injuries, um, you know. It was, uh, and I was in 4-H. I had a fabulous 4-H leader, Kathy Campbell. She's still around today, and I just saw her a couple of years ago. She's down in the Tryon area, and I owe so much to Kathy because she kept me on the straight and narrow, and I was my riding instructor. Were you and in Pony Club? I know we did 4-H. She was my, right. she, yeah, there was Pony Club, but not in Stanford. So okay. Stanford had 4-H and like Wilton had Pony Club and Fairfield and Newtown had Pony Club, but we had 4-H. Um, but we would go over to New Canaan Mounted Troop. My friend had a trailer and she'd take a, me over to New Canaan Mounted Troop for a jumping lesson. We'd do grids. Um, uh, I later wound up running New Canaan Mounted Troop for a short period of time, but that's another story. Um, so anyway, but, you know, I finally started going to college and I couldn't manage the horse, a job and college all at the same time. Um, and then I was going away for, for the second two years. So he became a school horse at Sunnyside farm in Bedford, New York, when Phil Lake and Berkeley Bain ran the place. Um, it was a hunter barn. Um, and the biggest problem they had with his name was Texas. The biggest problem they had with Texas was that the garage barn he was in had these stall grates and he would lift his stall grate off. He was a Houdini. He'd lift his stall grate off and then he'd go turn his friends loose. Okay. And then he'd go out and graze, right? And they'd come back and they'd find him with his friends, but he wouldn't let out the horses he didn't like. Alan um, has the same question I did was what kind of horse was he? Uh, he was a quarter horse grade, you know. Um, I have pictures of him. I'm gonna post them on Ride Like a Natural. But I'm one of these days I, I found them and then I lost them and I have to find them again. But he was a dark bay with a white blaze and he had at least one white sock. Um, I went to Eastern States Exposition for 4-H. That, which was the regional championships. And we placed first in horsemen in the stable management. Um, and I was second in equitation. I had a little bit of a break in my left wrist. Um, but, you know, I mean, he was great. I mean, was, you know, when I think about it now, what we did with that horse and I just rode him down the highway. And I remember a tractor trailer going by and blowing his horn and Texas kind of went, well, you know, and kept on going. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I rode him for miles and miles and miles. <laughs> wow. Amazing. You went, where did you go to college? So I went two years at University of, of Connecticut in Stanford. There was a branch in Stanford. And mm -hmm. then my second two years, I went to University of New Hampshire in animal science. Okay. Yep. okay. Um, I, I graduated magna cum laude from UNH and um, then went to work for Dartmouth College uh, at the medical school for oh. um, a, a man named Gibbons G. Cornwell III. <laughs> what a name. As, as only Dartmouth. As, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, and he was uh, an amazing doctor. He worked in the cancer ward and he, I can't tell you how many times he donated bone marrow for, for these kids because he had a lot of kids. Wow. Yeah, so many times. And he had me studying this little funny weird fiber, fiber called amyloid. And I would have to go to the morgue and get all these weird tissues and do histology and look for the amyloid and right. I Congo red. I still remember the dye I would use for the histology to look at. And, you know, 
Now we're talking about amyloid related to Alzheimer's disease. And, and as a 22 year old, you don't ask questions like, well, why are you studying this? Um, you don't ask questions. You may have been doing some of the first like foundational Alzheimer's research. Wow. Yeah, uh, cool. I'm cited on 13 papers that I know of. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> One day I discovered that little fact. Um, but I wasn't around horses and I was, you know, I was getting, my friends were telling me I was getting weird and that I had to get back around horses. And so mm -hmm. I found a barn across the river and got back around horses. And I was like, you know, I, I really need to be around horses. And the winter was really awful. So I decided to move to Virginia. And um, in 81, after a foot of snow in April, I packed everything up and I drove to Virginia and I went to work at uh, University of Virginia in the biology department. And there I ground up Physarum slime mold. <laughs> I was looking at the RNA structure in Physarum slime mold. So I was in a, in a lab doing a lot of embryology and looking at DNA and RNA and um, blew out a centrifuge. Yeah. <laughs> Lydia knows what that means. <laughs> well, I worked in an mRNA lab too. And so, yeah, I, I don't know that I blew out the centrifuge, but we were using radioactivity. We radio labeled some things to study them on the, the um, agar gel. And I used some radioisotope one night in a little room. And I thought, you know what? I'll come clean it up the next morning. And the next morning, the, the inspectors came. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Did I get in trouble for having a, a dirty, hot room? Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, and so I, I wound up working at a barn. Actually, Berkeley Bain had a breeding barn down in um, in Virginia and Free Union just outside Charlottesville. And uh, her manager needed help because she was having surgery and her name was Margie Youngs. And so I've, I know, I just saw Margie. She was at my Surefoot Clinic in New York. Um, we've oh, stayed wow. friends all that time. I went to work for her um, and I just remember that it was a fabulous uh, summer because I was working in the lab and I would go, you know, it was so hot that I remember that summer we'd start at like four or five in the morning, get all the stalls done. And I'd go to work and come back, you know, and work in the evening. And so um, I was helping Margie out. And then I realized that I really needed to be more closely aligned with horses and I didn't want to live at the end of a pitchfork. So I decided to go back to grad school because um, nice. I really like reproduction when I was in undergrad, I decided to look for a repro uh, program. And there were only two at the time. There was Colorado State and there was UK, University of A master's, a master's program. A master's degree, yeah. right. And so I got accepted at UK and never heard from CSU. Um, <laughs> <laughs> never responded. Uh, and so I moved to Lexington, which is like really near where I am right now. It's so strange to be back here because there's so many things that bring back memories of mm -hmm. my time here. The I worked the in the barns. I worked the yearling sales. I used to handle the yearlings. You know, um, Bob Loy was my mentor. He took me out to the standard bread farm. You know, the horse park was tiny. Um, you know, I worked for Rudin Riddle when they first opened their ICU unit. Uh, all, all kinds of, I've worked at the Red Mile in the restaurant, you know, there's all kinds of things that remind me of, uh, of my time here and how long ago that was. <laughs> oh. But while I was here, that's when I was living in, in Kentucky and I was a grad student, I was managing an event barn out in Versailles 
And um, there were these horses that we brought back from Georgia and one of them could could rear. And I'd seen that it could rear. And I was- Oh, is this the story this, of how you got injured? Uh, yeah. So um, uh, I wanted to be a tough event rider. I'd gone back to Connecticut. I'd gone home in August. And I remember talking to people. And I was like, okay, I'm going to commit to this. This is really what I want to do. And I came back and almost, uh, you know, within a, two months, month, month and a half, um, my life got shifted um, because the horse reared up the first time and hit me in the face. And the second time, whether I pulled him over backwards or whatever, we went over backwards. And then if he'd rolled to the right, he wouldn't have touched me, but he rolled left and he punched my femur through my hip socket, broke it out in two places in the back, wrapped the sciatic nerve around the head of the femur and kicked me between the legs and he got up. <laughs> so how many surgeries was that? Actually, it was only one. Um, I, they, well, initially it was only one. Yeah, I've had two, but for, you know, the last one was, you know, it was like 30 years later, I had the second one. Well, actually they had to take the wire out six months later, but, um, so they went in and they repaired the socket and they freed up the nerve and I was in traction for 10 days and in, in the hospital Ooh. for three weeks. Um, but the thing is when they sent me out of the hospital, they didn't give me any physical therapy. Yeah. You know, and, um, they like nothing. Um, and I was really fortunate because I had health insurance through the university. Mm -hmm. So I was able to have in-home care because I couldn't get out of bed. Um, and I couldn't walk my dog and I couldn't go in the kitchen because it was a linoleum floor. Um, and my and apartment's you, still there. You were alone, right? Yeah. You, yeah. yeah. So um, I, I went through several nurses till I found one that actually had helped me in the hospital. They'd taken care of me in the hospital. And she was awesome. And she gave me this spandex zebra striped outfit which i went to the bruce springsteen concert in and somewhere i have a picture of me in a top hat and these spandex outfits <laughs> and it's gonna appear on for christmas right like a natural as soon as you find it yeah yeah it's another one we i know i think that one is actually a physical picture i'm gonna have to find it but i i know exactly what it looks like i was like wow you know and um uh, and I remember going to the Bruce Springsteen. Then I went back up north for the holidays. And um, and Margie, actually, Margie and I, uh, about in March, so whatever, six months later, we went down to Chichen Itza. She said, come on with me. We're going on vacation. So I remember climbing the steps of the uh, of the uh, temple, you know, on the spring equinox where the serpent goes up the stairs and comes back down because of the sun and so anyway we went to, to Chichen Itza in in Mexico Little, oh. yeah. <laughs> Tulum and Chichen Itza the ruins yeah the Mayan ruins anyway so we did that you know and um you know I got back to riding and finished my how, degree. How, how long were you out of the saddle, Wendy? I don't think I've ever heard you tell that part of it. Six months. I blew my doctors away. Um, you know, because he people didn't think I'd ever ride again. Because see, what would happen is uh, I didn't think you'd ever walk again. I mean, that's pretty serious injury. Yeah, if I was super. No, I mean you don't have like a a gait asymmetry that I can tell. Thank you, Feldenkrais. Oh. <laughs> yeah i mean it's there it is there there is a slight asymmetry but you know um i remember one day when i was doing a feldenkrais training with mia in california and there was this gravel walkway to and from the classroom and we were staying in little cabins and she came up to me and she said i listen to everybody's gait she listens to them walk 
and you're symmetrical. Uh -huh. Wow. Yep. So is now a good time to get into the Feldenkrais? Oh, like sure. Yeah. Okay. Because Feldenkrais is so much a part of my recovery. So when I was in the hospital, somebody gave me a, a team newsletter, a Tellington Jones Equine Awareness newsletter. And a year after my accident, to the to the day, I met Linda Tellington Jones. Wow. So in October, October 3rd, actually it was October 4th. So October 3rd, 1984, I had my accident. October 3rd, 1985, I took my then horse to a horse show to honor the year of anniversary. And then I got the phone call Ooh. that I was supposed to be in Wisconsin at the team clinic. And I thought it was the following week. So I jumped in my Fiesta and I drove <laughs> all the way up to Wisconsin. And I got there late and I walked in and here's this woman playing with this other woman's toes. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing here. And that's how I met Linda Tillington Jones. Um, and Linda had worked with Dr. Feldenkrais in the 70s. So in the the mid seventies, she had gone to Germany because she was like done with the horses and she was burned out and they got rid of the barn and she went to Germany. And while she was in Germany, she heard about Dr. Feldenkrais. So she came back to the United States and she enrolled in his four-year training in San Francisco. And there was, I think about 60 people in that training. And the fascinating thing is how many of those people became trainers and were continued to be involved in the program. Like I had several of them in my guild certified training that had been in that training with Dr. Feldenkrais and or knew, uh, you know, Linda. Mm -hmm. And so um, she started taking the training and realized immediately that the work he was doing could apply to horses. Mm -hmm. So Mia Siegel was Feldenkrais's assistant at that training. And she took Mia to go see a horse so that she could start having Mia do Feldenkrais on horses. So there, you know, like I've now worked with me. I, I did a lot of Mia's training and, um, and she's an amazing person, not only just an amazing teacher, but she's an amazing person. Mm -hmm. And so there's these, you know, all these little subplots and sub connections and things. Yeah. Well, um, they're like little interconnected circles, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. So, um, so I met Linda and started studying with Linda and learned about the Feldenkrais method. And then there wasn't any practitioners where I was living. So Robin Hood, I was at a training in 86 in Vermont, I think, yeah, 87 in Vermont. And Linda, Robin, Linda's sister was gonna go to Australia and do a six week training. And I said, I'll come. Happened to be that right now I had no dog. I had no, my car, you know, like everything was like in flux. I had moved back from Kentucky to my mom's house. It was all in flux. It was a perfect time. And so I went with Robin to Australia and instead of staying for six weeks, I stayed for a year. And so, <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, well, I got my ticket. <laughs> I'll see you later. Um, and while I was there, I lived in Paddington and I would go downtown Sydney every day, not every day, but quite frequently and have Feldenkrais lessons with a woman in Sydney. Um, and her office was upstairs. I can't remember her name, but I can still see the office and you go up and you'd have a Feldenkrais lesson. And so I was, you know, familiar with the ideas from Linda and now I was having Feldenkrais lessons. And when I got back to the United States, um, I'd also done Sally Swift's instructor course in 86. So when I got back, 
you know, I realized that I didn't, I wanted to do this. I wanted to do um, work with centered riding and work with Linda, Linda's teamwork and work with horses. And so that's what I started doing. My dad passed and left me some money. He passed in 91. Um, and I was able to start uh, creating my own business and uh, work part-time as a waitress until I could do that full-time um, and just started teaching. And um, one of the people I met was um, Allie Thurston. And Allie Thurston is one of my dearest friends. She and I taught together Pony Club for six years and she kept going for another six. Um, and we're totally different in approach and totally uh, synced. Like I'll, I won't see her for two years and I'll see her again. And it's like, what are you teaching? I'm teaching, what are you teaching? Well, I'm teaching the same thing. You know, we're always on that same track no matter where we are. Um, so, you know, there's certain people in your life that continue to be in your life, even if you don't mm -hmm. see them every day mm -hmm. and you flow in and out and you meet up with them again and you go, wow, we're still on the same path. It's yeah. Awesome. yeah. So let's see. So then, so you started teaching and then what was the first thing you did that was bigger than teaching students locally? Like, did you start doing clinics around the country or did you think about, I should do a book or what, oh, what no. was the next thing? Um, How did you expand? So the book was later. So in, so 91, you know, I, I, had a little money for my dad. I was able to pay off my student loans. I had my 4-H leader, Kathy Campbell's old apartment <laughs> for dirt cheap in New Canaan, Connecticut. Um, I was teaching pony club and working with um, Allie and I was starting to do team clinics. Um, and so I did, like I'd go up to Lucy Bumps and I'd do a team clinic up there. That's, and I spent more time with Sally and I can't remember. I remember doing one in Pennsylvania. It was one of the last team clinics that I actually um, did strictly team. And the reason for that is that, um, the, the guy who brought me in was a WWF tag team wrestler champion who wanted to do jousting, who didn't know how to ride. Oh. And he bought a Belgian mayor who managed to hook one of the, your hundred gallon water tanks on her halter and had drug it all the way up the field. So here is a fiery belgian is what he called her fiery belgian with a halt with a halter stuck on a water tank that she dragged up and that happened before i saw her but then i had her in the arena and a hailstorm came on a tin roof and i had a fiery belgian balloon and i i just like this is my memory i'm like why am i here <laughs> <laughs> I felt like that story couldn't get worse, but every time you told me of it, it just kept getting worse. <laughs> oh, and then the next day you wanted to get on, and I was like, "This was, no, we're not ready." So you know, I was like, you know, I think I like working with horses that are already under saddle and teaching riding, because if I change the rider, I change every horse they sit on. But if I only change the horse, I got to put this guy on it. Yeah. <laughs> So, so that's when I um, was like, I apprenticed with Sally in, in 92. So that's when I was like, I started to go more into the riding instruction mm -hmm. because I really saw that if you didn't change the owner or the person who was in charge of that horse, you didn't change the horse. And, and I had, and it's so funny because I just had that conversation again with at AATT is that I had horses under saddle and I was doing surefoot and rider stuff and horses under with horses under saddle and 
And I, and once again, I was like, who is the most important thing in this equation right now? It's the rider owner. No matter what happens to the horse, if you don't change the rider owner's perception, mm-hmm. you cannot improve that horse's life. You can do palliative care. You might keep come back. You're treating the same thing over and over and over, mm-hmm. but you, you can't make a fundamental change because the person's perception hasn't shifted, whether that's their perception of their own body and how they sit on the horse, whether it's their perception of their horse, whether it's the kind of care that they're aware of. that Their also, mindset. The mindset. Yeah. 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 And ultimately they're the one paying the bills. So, so to make horses lives better, we have to bring awareness to the people that are in charge of those horses so that they understand that this situation can be different. So to make a lasting difference, because I know a lot of instructors, they come and give clinics every like other month or every three months and they work on the same exact Thing and the person gets better while they're there and then they go home and then they revert and then they get better when the person's there. But like, uh, you know, that's, that's very unrewarding to both the rider owner and the instructor, I would think. And and so what I'm hearing you say is you want to make a, a lasting difference Absolutely. And for them to continue on up and improve. Correct. And that's, when you see that cycle of they're only better with the instructor and they lose it, then they're not getting to the fundamental issue. Yeah. And that's what I'm always looking for is what is the underlying, if I could only do one thing, and I, this was when I teach instructor clinics, I tell them this, if you could only do one thing, what is the linchpin that is going to cascade the change, right? As opposed Mm -hmm. to worrying about most instructors worry about the extremities. We've got to look at the middle of the body and figure out where is that in gravity? How is that balanced? Does that rider know how to use their body to actually ask the horse to do the thing they want it to do? Because what I find is they're not, we're not taught how specifically to use our body to do a movement. We're just told. And that's how it ties back to the Feldenkrais, right? The, The possibilities, the options. People are sort of, they think I only have this one way of doing it when actually there's a a couple of ways to do it. And maybe the way they had never been exposed to is the way that their horse goes, aha, I get it. Yeah. So Dr. Feldenkrais would um, talk about the skeleton. He never talked about muscles and he talked about the nervous system because he he felt that the, the nervous system ran the show and the skeleton is the structure. And he was an engineer. So he looked at the body and he said, there's 5,000 different possible ways you can combine your bones into a movement. And when you get out of high school, you use about 800. And then you think about driving your car for hours and hours or sitting at a desk and mousing forever, right? And we keep losing potential possibilities of movement. And then we get on our horse in this habit that we're completely unaware of because it's so habitual, meaning unconscious at this point. And Mm -hmm. we wonder why our horse won't fill in the blank. And we try the things people tell us, but they're telling us from an external perspective of this rein or that leg, as opposed to the the use of the body. Do I actually know how to, whatever, ride a half halt, um, do a leg yield? Does, do I physically understand what is the motion to do that activity? Um, and I can remember back in, when I was in Connecticut, you know, in the nineties, I would, I tried to understand shouldering because I went and saw Bettina Drummond, who's an amazing person. 
um, and one of the, my mentors. And I was like, I don't understand this stuff. And I read the books and I still didn't understand the stuff. So I got on all fours and crawled around my living room, right? Literally. And I was like, okay, I have to put this here and that there in order to do this balance and figure that out. I was like, oh, now I get it from the horse's perspective. But then we have to figure out, okay, do I understand what the physical movement is from the horse's perspective? Do I understand what the physical movement is from my perspective to ask the horse? And if I, you know, like um, have my left heel jammed down so that my saddle is always slipping left, I'm never going to be in the middle where my horse can actually do the thing I want. He can only compensate and try to do what I think is I'm supposed to do with my legs and my reins, because now I'm, my horse is falling left. I'm falling left, but they're telling me I've got to move him back over. And so I'm trying to apply my left leg, even though my weight's over there. So it doesn't really work because the horse has to keep, you know, it's like. It, the person <laughs> doesn't know they're doing it either. It's, it's. No, like, they're not doing it on purpose. They're, they're crooked. And to them, it feels straight. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. I just had this lovely person. She was so lovely. And she, she even fit herself in around her brother's wedding. And, you know, when we asked her which side, you know, feels heavier, she said the opposite to the correct answer, because mm. in her brain, it was the right side that fell heavy because that's where mm. the pressure is, but the weight was to the left. And so the horse had a left hind leg problem. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and I just, I have another student recently who came and worked with me and I've known her for a long time and, you know, her instructor threw up her hands and said, you're crooked and I don't know how to fix you. So we got to talking. And so she came and I gave her a couple of Feldenkrais lessons. And the most interesting thing, not only could she do what the instructor was telling her and her instructor was thrilled, everybody was happy. When the farrier came to shoe the horse on the next cycle, he said, what did you do? because the horse isn't leaning on me on the right side anymore. Wow. So we made everybody's life better. The yeah. farrier, the trainer, the horse, the owner, by addressing the owner's habitual patterns that she was unaware of, that she couldn't change without some observation. And Feldenkrais, that's, you know, if I was to sum up, you know, what is Feldenkrais? Feldenkrais is a very Socratic method, meaning it's lots of questions and observation, because he would always say, you know, you, you can't do what you want until you know what you do. So if you don't know your glasses are on your head and you're running all around trying to find your sunglasses because you want to go outside and you look everywhere, they do not exist until you go, oh, I've been here the whole time. You know, I, I always say that Dorothy had the ruby slippers the whole time. She just didn't know how to use them. Mm. Right? we've had this body the whole time we just didn't come with a manual we don't know how to use it we yeah. don't even know that we aren't using it very well we don't know that there's another possibility and so Feldenkrais was about showing people the the potential the possibilities that's why I think of surefoot as you know discover your horse's potential because surefoot is comes from the Feldenkrais and it's about the horse discovering new possibilities of movement and therefore achieving his potential. We have yeah. no idea what we can do. You know, we get stuck in these little patterns and think, oh, I had a student this weekend for the AATT. She had hip dysplasia at birth. She's had seven hip surgeries. Oh, She's lost proprio had lost proprioception. So the first day I saw her for the riding part and I did board under the foot. And then she came to my Feldenkrais class because I did a Feldenkrais class. And afterward, 
she stopped and asked me a question. I pulled out the mirror and I put her on the floor and I had her do the mirror with the, with the better leg. When she got up, she was completely blown away. She could feel a complete difference in her pelvis and hips. And then the next day she got on the horse and she was my demo rider for putting everything together. And she said, it's completely different. My hips are completely different. And wow. then I just did sure foot with his back feet. And she's like, I can feel my horse's back feet move like I have never felt it before. So, you know, it's like, we, we can be, we can become so limited by our own habitual patterns and by what people tell us, you know, I find mm -hmm. that the messages that people tell, tell us how limiting they are. And, you know, I'm real, I'm starting to really embrace my Scottish heritage <laughs> because, you know, after watching, you know, last kingdom and the Scots are really these crazy people and all that sort of stuff. Um, when my doctor told me that I may never get my flexibility back and ride with my knees off the saddle, it made me angry. And I was like, you are not going to limit my potential. I just, I just, I can't even remember his name because I refuse to accept his limitation of my ability. And I've been that way all along. People, when I, when I went, I had a um, counselor that I was seeing when I was in grad school and after my accident and I met Linda Tellington Jones and I can so remember, I went and I said, I'm going to become a team practitioner. And she was like, yeah, right. And she didn't say it out loud, but it was, yeah, right. And I became a team practitioner. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, if you have the desire, you can change. And I think the desire is the key. Mm -hmm. You have to want to change. You have to be uncomfortable in whatever way makes you uncomfortable enough to get you out of your rut and say, I want to do this in a different way. I want to do this in a way that's easier, that feels better, that's more fun. I don't want to keep doing it the same way and having the same people, like you said with those lessons, tell me the same thing over and over and never get to achieve my desires. Mm -hmm. And it requires kind of like I remember when I started Surefoot and people basically, you know, I put it up on Facebook. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, and, and how people thought, you know, it's snake oil and it's this and it's that and it's everything else. And I was like, no. And now it's international. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you have to keep your ideas to yourself. Sometimes you have to keep them close to your heart so that they don't get too bruised before you put them out in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the whole rider course is something that I have kept close to my heart for so long. I, I can't, Julia knows how long I've been wanting to do this course because what I keep seeing and I, and, you know, like I have these other online courses, I think they're fantastic. And what I realized when someone sends me a video, which I just got one the other day from that course, I realized there's a, they're, they're missing the beginning of the story. Mm -hmm. They're missing the thing that makes that work. They're missing the understanding of their own body. They're, they're missing the Feldenkrais piece. And it's so rooted in me that I don't even know when I'm using it. Like I use it constantly, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's the way I think. It's the way I respond. It's the way I investigate things. It's that curiosity. It's, it's that sort of the lens you look through. Yeah. And, well, and I think, it's, I think it's a mindset thing too. It's, you know, that's a big part of it. Yeah. And, you know, we, you can talk about Feldenkrais as a philosophy. He was, he had read all kinds of psychologies, philosophies, religions. The guy was brilliant. He looked at all of these 
different. So it's not a religion, right? It's not a religion. Thank you. Okay. It's it felt in Christ with an S, not a T. <laughs> Um, it's his name, Moisha Feldenkrais, right? But he looked at all these religions and Sufism and all kinds. I mean, he was just super curious. And when he looked at all of it, Freudian, you know, there was, um, Ida Rolf was there, Alexander, those people were all alive in his mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And he looked at everything and he said, you can't think a thought without a movement. So why not address the thoughts with movement. In other words, if you have the thought of, oh, my shoulder's stuck, right? Is it really stuck or is your brain, it's your thought holding it there because that's a habit for whatever reason, you injured it, you protected your shoulder. It only takes a, like 10 days or something to make a new habit. And you're like, okay, now this is how I move through life. And then I'm gonna injure something else because this isn't moving. Mm. And there was a video of him working with a woman with whiplash in front of a huge audience. I think it was in Europe in a big theater, a scientific conference. And the woman's like, oh, I've got whiplash and I can't move. And like, I can't move my neck. And he's like, okay, well, let's just move your shoulder to your head rather than your head to your shoulder. We're still shortening the distance. Mm -hmm. And he did that. And then he brought the two together. And the next thing, our head moved. Right? So, so are we limited physically, or is it really limited by our thoughts? And how do we root out those limiting thoughts? First, we have to become aware of them. If we don't realize that we have a limiting thought, we can't do anything about it, right? Um, I can remember in my training, when I started my training in 2001, I had driven my four horse trailer with living quarters up to Baltimore from Virginia with my two horses, which I unloaded, put away, put all the tack away, set up the trailer, everything else, got in my dually and drove to the training in Baltimore. The first lesson was lay on the floor on your back. Great, did that. Take your right arm and put it out to your side shoulder height. Did that, slide it over your head. I got shoulder height level with my shoulder and my I looked at my arm and it stopped moving. And I was like, I don't have a clue how to move my arm any further. And I couldn't, I could not move my arm. I had no idea how I did anything I'd done because that movement was not available. Huh. And I had terrible shoulder pain. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> and, and I, I can, I mean, it's just, you know, you have those moments where that's like snapshots in your brain. And I can just remember looking at my arm going move and my arms like, I don't know how. And it just laid there. And I was like, okay. I need to figure this out. And that's was just such a startling awareness. And it wasn't like I got my arm moving that day. I mean, I can remember a whole nother segment where you're laying on your side and you have one hand on top of the other on your side and you're supposed to lift your hand away. And for three days, my hand was stuck until somebody came over and touched my back and was like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't do, I couldn't do it. But I did all these other things and I'm like, how did I do all these other things and not be able to do that thing? Hmm. Because I was compensating that badly. And, and so it was, you know, it's these startling moments when you realize either, wow, I can, or wow, I can't. They're both okay. Because if you don't know, you can't do it. You, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Um, and, and I remember so clearly having a lesson where, you know, like uh, my left leg was still not functioning as well as it can now. Um, and I had this lesson and he worked through my left foot and my shoulder pain went away. Uh, yeah. 
And I was stunned. And it, he never touched my shoulder. He never touched my shoulder. He worked through my foot. And so, you know, that what we tend to forget is that it's all connected. And mm -hmm. I think when we start to see the subtle and intricate connections in our thoughts, in our environment, in our lives, in, in people that we know, in our own body, that's just like, you're like, oh. <laughs> well, I think I just had an oh moment. Is that why you call it the whole writer? Because it's all connected? Light <clears throat> um, <ding>. bulb. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you, you can't, you know, like, you can't separate it. And ultimately, you can't separate it from the horse either when you're, you know, with your horse. Um, but I wanted to keep the focus more on the rider on this course, more on, because like I said, the minute the rider changes, they change every horse they touch. So Wendy, that reminds me of the one, one course that we have filmed together. And we, we went through those exact exercises where you had me change something and saw how my horse reacted. And at the time I had a very reactive thoroughbred and he was a perfect demonstration of how just changing one simple thing, I mean, made a huge difference for him. Yeah. And I watched that Bob video. Oh, Bob. We're demo all rider Bob. in Colorado. And it was fascinating because you would have him sit a certain way or change his breathing or move a, a body part and the horse would completely change his outline. Mm -hmm. just and and almost the the movement the change in the rider was so subtle unless you have been listening to you we might not even have noticed what he did but the horse sure noticed i mean and his stride length would change by six inches depending on how the guy was sitting yeah that was an eye-opener and you know the other thing that i notice is that we think change has to take a long time or that it has to be hard. Like it has yeah. to be so hard. You have to try harder and put more. Or that you lose it. something. Some You're going to like, oh, everybody. Yeah. Nobody wants to change. Yeah. But that it's got to take effort and it's going to be hard work and you're going to fall into ruts and there's going to be fear. And, and, you know, I'm like, no, I don't believe that. Um, I, I don't believe it because that's just, that's just, um, how do I, that's another construct. It's another thought. Oh, it's going to, I can't tell you how many writers go, oh, this is, you know, like they, they feel a change and they, oh, it's going to take a long time for me to keep it. I said, it will, if you make it, you, it will, if you want it to, but it can also change instantly because you now have another experience that you can't forget. And, you know, I mean, I've had just these like flash moments in my life. I can, I, I had a warm blood mare, lovely, lovely mare. Um, and, but she was lame a lot of the time and et cetera, but I can remember a single ride I had on that horse where I did something and I discovered lengthening stride in a way I had never experienced it before. Mm -hmm. And it's, I have never forgotten that yep. single moment and it changed how I taught it for the rest of my life. So change can happen instantaneously. It's being willing to change that takes the time if you keep you know I, my students they go yeah but yeah but you know that just changed. yeah but I'm like are you a butthead <laughs> sorry um you know because 
What Bud is doing is it's invalidating your own experience. You just had an experience that just happened. Why do you want to yeah. invalidate the experience? Yeah. Or yeah. how many times people want to film their lesson? And I'm like, I really don't want you to film the lesson. If you want to film it, please just film the very end. Because when they film a lesson and watch it, they go back to the old place. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. You're watching yourself do it the old way for how long until finally the magic moment happens and you get something different. So now you replay the 20 minutes of the old place before you get to the little magic moment. It's like, just yeah. clip the end. Or mm -hmm. if I have a student do something really well, I'm like, stop, make a little video clip. Even if it's two strides, clip the video clip, take the two strides and put it together and loop it. And now just play the loop of the two strides, right? Just the two strides over and over and over because that's how we're going to make a change. But if you have to go, oh, it was so hard and I had to do this and oh, I had to be, uh, you know, all you're doing is replaying the thing you don't want. And, and I, I think we, we talk about that in the whole rider course. There's, you know, you speak to the importance of visualization and how impactful that can be. It's, it's huge. It's huge. Um, and it's not woo-woo stuff because we can have you, mirror neurons. <laughs> can you talk more about what is going to be in the course then? What, oh, sure. what you put together from your over 30 or 35 years of just your experiences with people and horses. So um, the whole rider course is, uh, it's total of nine weeks. It's a prep week and eight modules. And it's, there's a on-demand video of the of Feldenkrais lessons. And I'm using that as your, you know, if you think about a dinner, you need a main course. So the main course is the, is the Feldenkrais lesson. Okay. And then we're going to have lives where we talk about the experience, journaling, where you write about it. Okay. And actions where you go out and you take that, whatever that piece is, and you go experiment with on your horse. And this course is, is unmounted in its video and in its approach, because we've got to get the rider being more aware of their body. And when you're with the horse and the tack and everything else, mm -hmm. the effortless rider course handles so much of that, but it doesn't handle the piece of the rider alone where the rider can experience what they're doing. So, you know, we need that quiet time. We need to not have to worry about so many things and distractions and that sort of thing. You need to, as you, as you quiet things down, you become more sensitive. So in the quiet of your own home, you watch the on-demand videos, then we're going to have uh, discussion and we'll have two live classes a week where I will be there with everybody and we'll be talking about either a topic or a discussion or I'll have a guest. Um, my biggest problem, Lydia, my biggest problem is to not put too much into the course. There's so much I want to tell people, right? There's so much I'm like, oh, Julia knows. It's like, oh, can't we do, can't we, should, no. We have to, we have to like, Keep it, and you asked Lydia this question of me the other day is like, how much time does somebody have to, to put aside to do the course? And yeah. if I really put everything in it, I would be a fire hose and I would drown them and then they wouldn't be able to get anything done. So we're, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, Julie's trying to keep me limited. Okay. <laughs> um, so that it, it's a doable eight week course. And yeah. then at the end, you come out with a whole new experience of what your possibilities are. Yeah. Um, you know, I want people to feel empowered by the course to, that they can make good decisions. I can't tell you how many times I see riders and especially horsewomen where they doubt themselves. 
they doubt what they feel and know is right in their heart. And it's so if someone else told them they couldn't or yeah, they couldn't, or you got to do it this way or whatever. And it's not working, but the authority and that authority could have been a riding instructor when they were five, right? That authority has told them this is how it's supposed to be. And so this is what you must do, but maybe that's not working for you anymore. Or maybe if you have another option, if that one doesn't work on this horse, you can pick this other option. So the more choices we have, and obviously there's a limit. I just went into the convenience store to get more diesel and I walked in to get some water and I was like, whoa, way too many choices in this store. Way too many options, candy bars, this, that. And I was like, I just want my little bag of popcorn, which I had to hunt all over to fall. <laughs> right? Because there's so too many choices can be overwhelming. And so paralysis. I, yeah. Right. So we're keeping it limited. And I, I wanted to make it a reasonable time um, uh, set aside each week for the course and, and everything's going to be recorded there's reading material with it for the people that like to like read and not just watch videos like the, you can you can supplement one with the other yep so there's the whole rider companion that'll come out with each module which yeah. is uh, written and it asks you to do some journaling and some reflection after you do a lesson. And, you know, some people really like to journal. Uh, uh, other people don't. Other people, yeah, it's okay. You know, <laughs> it's like we we want to give you the ability to learn in the I way. I didn't bring that. this. I, I just had it here because I'm journaling, but look at this wonderful book someone gave me. It's this leather, it's these really cool, like hand sewn pages. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, because we're gonna we're gonna ask people to get their favorite, right? Because I love paper. I, I used to make paper. Okay, that was another <laughs> what haven't you done when I drove a bus, <laughs> uh made paper, I've waitressed, uh <laughs> um yeah, I've done a few different things, but I, you know, and like I said, I'm just really excited about it because I, I there's only so many people I can reach when when I'm doing a clinic. And there's I can reach so many more people. Mm -hmm with online. But you know, one of the things that I've seen is that it, when it's on demand only, you're kind of like out there on your own. And there's, whether you want to call it accountability or friendship, having somebody there to talk to, if you get stuck, if you run into a problem, or you just experience something and you just want to share it, you know. So a community, a community of people that are experiencing, not experiencing the same things, but they're going through the a same, they're going down the same path and you're all finding different fruit along the way and going, look at the Absolutely. fruit I found, look at the fruit I found. Yeah. I was actually just listening to a book earlier today and um, they were talking about accountability and just sharing with somebody what you're going to do makes you twice as likely to do it. So I think that's such an important piece to, to success in this course. Yep, we're gonna ask people to have a virtual riding buddy so they don't have to have a physically, you know, cause not everybody rides where somebody else is, or you like somebody, but you're not there, but you can have a virtual riding buddy. And so you have accountability, but you have friendship and you have you yeah. support, you know, if you get stuck and you have a, a, a riding buddy, you can just call them up or text them or email them and go, you know, I, I felt this today. What do you think? Um, because that feedback, you know, when the surgeon general said that the number one health issue in this country is going to be loneliness. I was like, oh, I saw that. I was, just, yeah. I was dumbfounded yeah. and you know it's you can't you know like I can't be everywhere there's so many 
people that ask me, can I come into a clinic? But, but I don't have enough hours in the day. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, I'm never home and I don't get to see my horses and my kitties. So, you know, I've COVID like kept me home and I got over my burnout, which was pretty bad um, by being home. And when, after the first year, I was like, please don't take off the pan, you know, don't stop the pandemic. I'm sorry. I just need another year. I really needed a second mm -hmm. year to get over the burnout. It was that bad. And now that COVID's over, you know, people are asking me all the time, can you come into a clinic? I've got to find a way to help my population, to bring yeah. information to them, and at the same time, be sustainable for myself. And I think yeah. that's one of the big messages that we're all struggling with post-COVID is how can we, do we go back to what we did before and have the ridiculous travel schedule? Or do we find another way? Mm -hmm. And so this is another way that I can bring my information to people that want it, uh, help them in their journey to find harmony with their horse, um, be there in support of them and give them guidance. Um, because you get to be healthy too. Right. Right. And, and teach people how to be that, you know, their, their own, I'm calling it, you know, their own superheroine, right. We need mm. to be, we, I can't tell you how many times I find women and they're like, they're unsure of themselves. They're unsure of that. Or is this the right decision? It's like, you know your horse better than I do. You know your situation better than I do. You need to feel empowered that you can make those good, healthy decisions. Um, empowered. That's a, that's a, a, I was going to say a powerful word, but there's, there's probably a better word for it. But um, that's a feeling I would like to have around my horse that I am empowered. Yeah. Because, you know, the, the, the vet crisis that we're talking about, it's, it's the number of large animal vets is, is in huge crisis. They're disappearing so rapidly. And so we're going to have to be able to respond to be responsible means able to respond to our situation. And we need to know how to make good decisions. You know, and the thing about, um, you know, I, you might laugh at me, but I was watching Supergirl. <laughs> um, because Brad and I like light storylines, right? We don't like heavy, scary things at night. We like light storylines. So we're watching Supergirl and I was like, you know what? Horse women need to be their Supergirl for their horse. Supergirl isn't perfect. She makes mistakes. She crashes into buildings, but she still comes back with good intent. She's trying to do good. And yes, she makes mistakes, but you know what? That's life. And we need to be able to accept, okay, I, I had to make a decision. I made a decision and this happened. Okay, this happened. Was it the outcome I wanted? No. Am I going to beat myself up? No, I did the best I could at the time. Now I've got to make another decision. What's my next decision? So that I, my intention is to do good. It doesn't always work out and it's okay. Oh, that just happened to me tonight with my horse. So I, I feel much better with you saying people make mistakes and it's your intention that counts and go back and do it again and see if you have a different outcome. Yeah. I feel, I feel much better now. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Because, you know, I, I'm not I really so worried up. about making a mistake and the big mistake is that they're, they're not doing anything. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. they get paralyzed. No. I've made tons of mistakes and I think about them often. I'm like driving down the road and is, oh yeah, I did that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I did that one. Okay. But I didn't let it paralyze me yeah. into yeah. indecision. I just have to accept that 
I did the best I could at the time and now I've got to move on. But if we are going to be the hero to our horse, if we're going to be responsible for our horses, truly responsible for our horses, we have to be able to make decisions, even if it tears a building down. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, so I, and and sometimes it's really hard, but I, I've had people come up to me and tell me, you know, I was in the middle of a clinic and th- this happened with my horse and I felt powerless and I couldn't, I couldn't get my horse out of it. And now my horse won't talk to me. And we need to be able to step up and in, in front of 300 people and go, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm taking my horse back over here. Thank you very much. This is not for me. Um, and that, I love the Franklin balls because all the women laugh when I tell them they have to have balls. <laughs> oh. oh let's let's talk about um who who is the who is this course for like you must have in your mind like a picture of a person that this is ideal for so for horsewomen and when i say only you know there's things that women can talk about that men can't relate to and it's not that there aren't men that can, but I my population is women. And I want to just have the ability to speak with women about women's things. Because there's certain things that, you know, it's uncomfortable having a guy around. Let's face it. There are uncomfortable things for guys. Like when somebody comes up and asks me about, you know, how to not get uh, injured. And I'm like, Brad, that's a Brad question. Go talk yeah. to him. <laughs> Because I, I I don't have I <laughs> and he has answers to that. Um, so so it's for horsewomen. That's basically my population. Um, it's for any horsewoman that really wants to improve and take. I hate to say this, but take the responsibility for their own actions. Take the responsibility for their own body and accept the fact that there's something they can learn that may improve their relationship with their horse, even if they think everything's okay. In other words, you don't have to be in strife to take this course. If you want to be better, and that's the thing for me is- No matter where you are, if, if, you're, if your thinking is, I just want to improve at whatever level I am, then right. there's something in this course for you. Okay. Yeah, because for me, the number- I mean, it happened so many times. I'd go off to a Feldenkrais training. And so in the, geez, it's been a while now, but I took five riding instructors with me over to Bad Tulse, Germany to study with Mia Siegel in her foundation course. And it was nine days each segment. So three times a year, we went to Germany. And every time I came back and got on my horse, he said, thank you very much. Can you go back now? Like every time he was like, that's great. You learned a lot. Can you go back and learn some more? And I'm like, <laughs> not everybody can go to Germany, right? Um, so the the impact of my training that it's had on my riding ability and look at Linda Tellington Jones. I mean, she's still getting on horses and she's like, what, 85? She goes to Equitana and gets on horses she's never seen before. Oh my. Yeah, right? Um, not that I'm you know, recommending that. But the thing is that when we have this movement in our body, the horses respond to it. The You find that things are easier. They're more responsive because we're, we're not limiting them from doing what we want. And we have well, to- and I, 
I think you, the other piece of this is you don't have to be riding all of the time. You don't have to be somebody that's riding four or five days a week. Like, you know, I was your demo person for the, for the course, but you know, when we had filmed with a horse, then I hadn't been on a horse for 18 months. I didn't know that. <laughs> I hadn't been on a horse for 18 months. So like, that's a long, oh, wait, right, yes, for this, yeah. 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 So, you know, I, I felt like I could just keep everything in mind that I had learned working, you know, just going through the Feldenkrais lessons and it did not feel intimidating to get back on my horse again. Cause I knew the possibilities were there. So I think it's important to also know that you don't have to be riding all of the time to get benefit out of this program. That's a good point. Yeah, actually, you don't even have to be riding to benefit from it. No, you don't. And honestly, I've seen changes in other parts of my life. Wendy knows I'm, I've become an avid runner and it's even made changes in my running. I, you know, I'm able to run faster paces just because I'm not putting so much effort. And so it's really, it can be something that improves not just one part of your life. Julie wants me to do a, a, a ride, a runner's course. A course for runners. I'll get her to do that next. <laughs> She's my waterfall of content. So I keep tapping into her. Cool. And did I hear you say that this is going to be available not not just for the nine weeks, but they get access to it for longer? Lifetime. Okay. So if they want to go back and review something, they can. They can. And if we That's add awesome. anything to the course, if we release it, which we will, we'll release it again. Any content that we add, they'll have access to that. In fact, they could just join us for the next, you know, the, if I go live again. Oh, and that's the wow. thing about, you know, working with you in person, you you only get you for that that one little chunk of time, but here they can go back and rewatch things, you know, review oh, whatever, wow. whatever new program. Yep. Some people say it's like having me in their head. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, no, but you know, it's, um, and I'm going to be doing other, I've already building other courses in my head. Okay. Julia knows because I've, I've already talked to Actually you do too, Lydia. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm at the point in my life where I don't want my work to die with me. And I don't have anybody coming along right now that I don't, there's no one in the wings to, to do what I do. And so if I, so by doing these courses, I get my material out there where it's going to be available and stay available. And so that information people can find because otherwise mm -hmm. it's just in my head and I write, right. I, I mean, I write, you know that, um, but I, I haven't written everything. I haven't done everything. There's so much more I want to do. And so by doing online courses, it, it gets the content out of my head. Oh, and, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. And yep. then like, okay, it's there now. Now I can do this piece. Like the, I'm not going to redo the effortless rider course. I do have a plan for the people in the effortless rider course to take them through it. Like with lives. Um, mm. Once, once we get the whole rider working, because I think so many people, um, the self-study doesn't work because there's no accountability and there's no feedback. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I did this mm -hmm. thing. I don't know how I'm doing. How'd I do? Did I, is that right? You know, yeah. like he wants me to talk to. So I have, you know, that's, that's in the plan, but by bringing this material out in an online course, it's there. And then I can go on and do the next piece and the next piece and the next piece. Cause I've, like I said, I've, 
I've got enough in my head to keep me busy for a long time. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned when this, you've got this running, go back and work on the effortless writer course. Do you have a time frame in mind? When is this happening? Well, if I can, if I can get everything organized, this, this course is launching in June, right? And it is ending in August. So the, the okay. win, my window is between now and Safari, because I'm going on Safari in September. Okay. Okay. So it's so the month of September. I'll be on Safari. I'll be going to Europe and that sort of thing. When I come back, I have a few events scheduled, but my plan is to work with Callie King and Horse Class to make available and in, uh, a, I don't even know how we call it, but basically I'd take them through the Effortless Rider course and we'd have every week we'd have lives just like we'll have in the whole rider mm -hmm. so that I can help them get through the material and answer any questions right then and there, you know, each week, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, well, I did that, but I, but I didn't, pra you know, it's, it's hard to do on your own. I bought online courses. I don't do them because there's nobody there to make me do mm -hmm. them. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I have good friends. I have, you know, really good friends and I know that they're, they've, they have the course, but they're not using the course. So, you know, my goal there is like, let's get everybody who has the course using the course so that they can yeah. make the improvements. So they really can find what they're looking for. So yeah. the, and the beauty of whole rider is that it's the, it's the foundation piece for the rider. The effortless rider course is the mounted with there's unmounted and mounted, but it's more targeted towards the specific riding techniques. Okay. Right? This like is how the, to trot, how to make transitions, how to turn. Correct. Yeah. This yeah. is the foundation to all of it. If if is discovering how my body functions and improving my self function, my use of self, so that when I do those lessons, it works because okay. I have that innate awareness now. And oh. you know, I have to tell you one thing about Feldenkrais that people think, oh, I have to do it over and over like exercise, and that is not true. So my, my favorite story is that my mom, years ago, my mom came to visit me. She took the train down from Connecticut to DC and I picked her up and I had a Subaru at the time. She struggled to get in my Subaru and she was in her eighties, right? She struggled to get in, into the Subaru. And so I drove her home and she stayed with me for a few days. And then I was going to have to take her back to the train. So I'm like, before I take you back to the train, I'm going to do this five minute lesson of getting up and down off this stool, Right. And I didn't tell her what it was about. I just showed her how to get up and down off the stool in a really easy way. And then she got in the car and we drove and she wanted to stop at McDonald's to get something to have on the train. So we stop at the McDonald's and it's raining and she goes in and she comes out and she's got her newspaper over her head to keep her hair dry and her sack in her hand. And she's walking out to the car and I pop the door open. She sits, swings in and boop, closes the door and she's done. She used the chair lesson to get into the car without me ever telling her. When we learn that. through movement, we learn the movement and our brain goes, oh, this is a great time to execute that movement, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? You don't have to keep doing it over and over and over again and learn it. You can learn more subtle layers. You can, like, if I fly on an airplane and I get off and I'm like, oh, I feel crippled from the seat. I'll get on the floor and do pelvic clock and I, and then boom, I feel better, right? Mm. Um, but you, it's, it's not like you have to practice it to make it better. And that's a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around. And it's the same idea as like with a mounted lesson and I show them something different and they're like, um, 
you know, well, I, I'm going to have to really work at this. I'm like, why? You already know it. When we learn through movement, we know movement, just like a bicycle. It's like it's a, not it's forgetting a, how to ride a bike. What yeah. is it saying? Yeah. Um, you know, I went to Holland and I hadn't ridden a bike for a long time and they gave me a mommy bike. Okay, now you have to understand a mommy bike has a seat behind your seat and a seat in front of your seat for your kids. Okay, so it has a different balance, a mommy bike does. So I'm pedaling along, we got to a railroad track and I was like, because ah. <laughs> I didn't know the balance of the mommy bike. <laughs> but when I went to Martha's Vineyard, I took my bike that I hadn't ridden in 10 years. I got on my road because we know how to move a bicycle. We know how mm -hmm. to pedal. Once you learn a movement by taking the time to slow down and become aware, you know the movement. You, you know, you can refresh it, you can improve it, you can do another finer detail, like instead of every hour, every half hour, but you know the movement. And that's the beauty of learning through it's how horses learn. Mm -hmm. It's how babies learn. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they you know, when I think about how easy things are for kids little kids to do and we we make them hard <laughs> and then you just go back and look how a child does something and you're like they just instinctively know how to do it you know i had somebody at the aatt it's fresh in my mind because i was just there she had back pain and hip pain and all right got on the floor and i spent a little time with her and she kept wanting to argue with me that it wasn't uh, essentially that it wasn't possible to make this change. You know, it still hurts. It still hurts. She kept focusing on the pain. It still hurts. It still hurts. I'm like, this is not about pain relief. This is about learning a new possibility of movement. And she kept wanting to go back to her habit of does it, it still hurts. It still hurts. It still hurts. Right. And then she suddenly, I don't know if it was that day or the next day I saw her again. And I said, come on, get on the floor. And I took her leg and I went boop, 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 boop. Cause at, at first I couldn't lift her foot off the floor. Like when I started, I was like, I cannot lift. And I like, here it is. It's still here. Right. And she was like, oh, it's all in my head. Isn't it? It's like, yes. Wow. Wow. You know, it's, uh, and it was just, I was like, I just show. And then I, I, and then she said something. I was like, get on the floor. Boop, boop, boop. It still moves. And it's like, uh, so it, it must be really, um, heartwarming, I guess is the word when, when you're teaching and at all different stages, people have these light bulb moments like, Oh, so, you know, it, it must be very rewarding to you. Then. It is. Yeah. And Julie knows I have that little impish snarky side, right? Like, <laughs> Like I know it, I know it still moves. Come on, let me show you. It's still look, it still moves, right? It's that uh, that that hum that like um I don't know how to put it, but I, I I can see where they're struggling, and I know what they're struggling with. But it's like, come on, I know you know I already know you can, and I think you know Julia, uh, not Julia, Lydia. Your superpower is seeing errors and spelling and misspelled words and spaces. My superpower is seeing somebody's potential. Oh, that's an excellent superpower. Yep. I look at people and I see what they can do. They want to tell me what they can't do. Very true. Very true. Yep. Mm -hmm. I want to keep showing them what they can do. You know, I that you're right. I have a clinic coming up in um, this weekend and I'm already starting to think 
oh, I, I need to make a list of all the things to tell her that I can't do. I want you to make a I'm, list of all the things you can I'm just going to tear that up and start again. <laughs> yeah, isn't it funny? It's like, wow. I, I would go to Pony Club and I'd say, all right, you guys, what do you do well? Oh, oh, oh. You know, I was like, what do you do about it? I don't do this, 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 this. I'm like, wait a second. You know, we need to look at what we do well. We need to give ourselves a break. We yep. need to. All right. So I got a um, new list out. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, and and sometimes in the lessons, there's things I couldn't do. I couldn't move my arm. Okay, I can't move that arm. I can move this one. You know, what can I do? Mm -hmm. uh, Mia would always say, why let 5% of your body rule 95%? Hmm. It's a good question. Yep. It's a good question. It's we're funny creatures that way. My glasses on. Julie, have you have we got any questions down there? I see there's a no, we haven't had any any come in. Okay. Do you have what's any questions? Um, what's involved? Thinking if I have any more questions for you. Um You know, I've been, uh, I just, I really needed the COVID downtime. Yeah. The COVID downtime to kind of refocus my lens and, um, and recharge. And, you know, I look back at all the webinars now, I'm like, oh my God. You didn't, you started the webinars. That was a COVID thing, right? Oh, I started. Yeah. I did like yeah. one before COVID started in January, one or two. And then I just was like, okay, we're off yeah. and running but I can see how tired I was, you know, even though mm. I was doing webinars and stuff and it's, it's all, I, my friends come up to me and they say to me, I have never, I have not seen you this excited about something since I can't remember. Right. I mean, there's something about the whole rider course and, uh, you know, learning how to do all this stuff that has just uh, it energized me in a way that I can't remember the last time I, Julia knows. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It's just energized me and I'm really hoping it's successful, but if it's not, we'll just figure it out and hunt again. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm having a really good time organizing it and planning. And well, it's like you said, um, getting all of this out <laughs> of yeah. your head and onto some sort of platform, whether it's I've written the guide or videos or a Facebook community. So, you know, having it exist in the universe is a feat in and of itself. Yeah. So that's and I'm just learning so much, right? I mean, I, I, I feel like I've, I've well, what, what are you learning? Well, because I've in the past, I've always been the talent. Right. I'm yeah. the one in front oh, this time okay. I'm learning all about the backside of online courses, which is way more than I thought, but I'm, I'm learning how to, how to write differently, how to, you know, how to structure. Um, I, I've got some great people I'm collaborating with on this project. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and I can, I can just see, it's kind of like bumped up my game in a lot of avenues, a lot of directions mm -hmm. where one of the things is like, you know, I've been adding things to, to what I do and it's come to the point where it's like, I'm confused. 
<laughs> right. So we actually, Kelly and I did a little video to explain horse class and whole rider course and how we're friends, but we're not the same. Right. So horse class is where my, uh, my three online courses are hosted that um, effortless rider, effortless rider jumping and the ABC of on the aids and whole rider is holy mine. Um, and it's on a separate platform. And so um, we're going to uh, let the people in horse class know about the whole rider, but it's over here on my platform as opposed to being over on horse class. And so I've learned an awful lot about, you know, what's involved with the, the backside of things. Callie was laughing at me because she's like, you know, she's going more into delving into the science and everything of horses and humans and how we learn and everything else. And I'm going into marketing and to, you know, like, how does this system work and what do you do with that? And where does it go? And, and how do you connect that? Because one of the things that I've realized is that my, my world has many facets. And then I think people get confused trying to figure out all the things in my umbrella. And so once we get the whole rider launched, I'm planning on building a landing page under wendymurdoch.com to explain, to make it easy because there's so many things like there's webinars and there's podcasts and there's online learning and there's in-person and there's product. And, you know, it's like, I, I was at Equine Affair and I was like, I'm confused. <laughs> well, so, so the next well, step. So let's start right now by saying, where do people go if they're interested in the whole writer course then? So Where for the we... whole rider course, it's really easy. Maybe Julia can put the link. I was going to say, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, gonna to pop the link in the chat. We'll let okay. Julia do it. So it's the right one. Um, <laughs> but it, it feeds you into, so I've moved into a, a different platform. And so some people are probably getting multiple emails, one from MailChimp and one from Kartra. Kartra is where the whole rider course is being hosted. And if they've already signed up on the early interest wait list, they've been getting emails from that as well as my Sunday emails from MailChimp. And the goal is to, to bring everything into one house, to unify it. I thought I was doing that a year ago when I moved over to a different platform. It turned out that wasn't quite as successful as I had planned. Um, so that's okay. This is this third approximation, right? <laughs> um, and so, you know, from here, what I wanna do is build that sort of uh, roadmap to all things Wendy. So that when you come in, you can figure out, okay. Cause I mean, I still talk to people that don't know I do webinars and um, you know, that's just a huge, huge amount of information that's available to anybody. So yeah. um, I need to like be able to market that out and let people know about mm -hmm. all the free webinars that I've done that are available to anybody and know about Wendy's Winnie's the podcast so that they can have that as audio when they're driving in their car instead mm -hmm. of watching YouTube. Uh, Hopefully. <laughs> oh, so that's, you know, like we're getting the whole rider. The whole rider is kind of my crucible. It's my, my uh, test proving out to figure out how all this works. So mm, then when I okay. come out with the next course that it's already in my head, um, which you've seen the outline for Lydia, um, that, we have a place to put it that makes sense in the, in the house. In the, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have different doors that you can come into the house. And then we want to be able to take you through all the different rooms in the house so that you can find what you're looking for and not feel confused as I do. Okay. Right. <laughs> got the roof. Yeah. Got the roof, got a bunch of rooms, need to kind of tie them together and give them some doorways. Yes, exactly. Yep. Love it. 
It's get, it's getting clearer and clearer. <laughs> yep. And I, and I'm talking, you know, I, one of the things I love about doing clinics is I meet such interesting people. So I was doing this clinic up in, in New York and I met this woman and she does this for IT is figure out how does this all fit? And so I've already had one conversation with her about how does, how do we make this accessible and understandable to anyone coming in and no matter what door they come from. Um, because, you know, when I have a veterinarian, they're coming in through Surefoot into that door and they might only want to live in that little room. That's fine. But they might then go, wow, wait a second. There's this information over here, but right now they can't, it's not an easy path. So mm -hmm. I'm just, that's what I'm working on next. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. I really like that analogy. Yep. Doors and windows. I made a positive list for my clinic. Awesome. Awesome. Um, All right. Well, if, if nobody has any other questions, I think it's probably, uh, we've been yakking for a while. It's probably time to wrap <laughs> this up. <laughs> I want to well, thank you both for interviewing me. This has been a different experience. <laughs> I get to, you know, I, I never know what's going to pop out of my mouth. And I got to talk about my first horse and the crop circles. <laughs> Yeah, this was so much fun. It was nice to hear. I mean, I've heard some of these stories before, but to hear them all together and mm -hmm. your picture, it was, it was well, and, and like I maybe have heard part of a story, but more detail with it, it, it a little more color. Yeah. 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 So, That's great. Really well, cool. thank you both. This has been a wonderful experience to have you interview me and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate it. Like I just put the quarter in and something pops out, right? <laughs> Everybody just remember you can find this and all the other webinars on the Sherpa Decline YouTube channel. And on, I think it's Thursday, we have uh, uh, one on fascia. Um, oh, and yes. is that, is that a veterinarian? Or yes. Okay. Uh, um, Dr. Bouchard, Bouchard, right? I just forgot her name. Is it Marsha something? Yes. Yeah. Pretty, okay. Yeah. I'm okay. really looking forward to it. Her. She's her, her, her resume is fascinating. Um, she's from South Africa. Oh, wow. Yes. And so I'm really excited to, to hear what she has to say. Cool. So. All right. Thanks everybody for okay. tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Good evening. Bye.